0: Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for standing by and welcome to the AMIRA Q3 2020 Analyst Call. At this time, all participants are in listen-only mode. After the speaker's presentation, there'll be a question and answer session. To ask a question during the session, you'll need to press star one in your telephone. If you require any further assistance, please press star zero. I would now like to hand the conference over to your speaker today, Scott Hastings. Please go ahead.
1: Thank you, Marcella. And thank you all for joining us this morning for Ameris Third Quarter 2020 Conference Call and Live Webcast. Ameris third quarter earnings release was distributed this morning via Newswire, and the financial statements management discussion and analysis and the presentation being referenced on this call are available on our website at amera.com. Joining me this morning for this call is Scott Belfour, Ameris Chief Executive Officer. Greg London, AMARA's Chief Financial Officer, and other members of the AMARA Management Team. Before we begin, I'd like to take a moment to advise you that this morning's discussion will include forward-looking information, which is subject to the cautionary statement contained on the supporting slide. Today's discussion and presentation will also include references to non-GAAP financial measures. You should refer to the appendix for definitional information and reconciliations of historical non-GAAP measures to the closest GAAP financial measure. And now I'll turn things over to Scott Balfour.
2: Thank you, Scott, and good morning, everyone. We're pleased to report that overall, our business remains strong despite the impacts of the global COVID-19 pandemic. Our teams continue to deliver the essential energy our customers count on every day. And as the pandemic continues, we understand the increasing financial pressure many are facing. And so in addition to our significant community investments and rate relief programs, our employees continue to work with customers on payment plans to connect them to financial aid programs available to help reduce the financial pressure. In these ways, and many others, our teams at our gas and electric utilities continue to be customer centric. And this quarter, we saw strong customer satisfaction scores at our electric and gas utilities. People's Gas, for the eighth consecutive year, was named the top rated utility in customer satisfaction among midsize natural gas companies in the south region by J.D. Power. In doing so, they received the highest customer satisfaction scores in the nation. Our teams have also been advancing, excuse me, also been advancing our our 2020 capital program, which focuses on investments in cleaner and reliable energy. Even with the additional COVID-19 driven health and safety measures in place, I'm pleased to say again this quarter that our large capital projects, including the Big Bend modernization and our solar projects in Florida, continue to be on time and on budget. These projects and our capital program as a whole reflect our strategy in action, facilitating our transition to lower carbon and improving reliability, all the while never losing sight of customer affordability. With that, I'm pleased to share that our updated capital plan anticipates the investment of between 7.4 billion and 8.6 billion over the next three years. As in the past, the baseline capital plan only contains committed projects that we are highly confident will proceed over the forecast period. Our baseline capital forecast includes previously announced projects like the Big Bend Modernization Project, investments in solar, storm hardening in Florida, and hydro refurbishments in Nova Scotia. In addition to the baseline forecast, we do see incremental upside that could provide an additional $1.2 billion of investment opportunity in development. I will speak about one of those development opportunities in a few moments. Our capital program is directed towards regulated investments that support our strategy and growth in earnings. Over the next three years, almost 80% of our capital will will be deployed in our electric utilities, where our investments in renewable and cleaner generation, grid resiliency, and smart meters. The remaining 20% will be invested in our gas utilities, where the focus is on system expansion to support customer growth and investments that enhance reliability. Notably, about 70% of our capital is expected to be invested in the state of flora, optimizing our capital allocation to a jurisdiction with favorable equity thickness and returns. And notably, on a combined basis, over 60% of our $7.4 billion baseline capital program will be invested in projects that promote cleaner and more reliable energy. This robust capital program will drive rate-based growth between 7.5% and 8.5% from 2019 to 2023. We will continue to update both the baseline and development opportunity forecast in the future to keep the market up to date on significant advancements. We're very proud of the growth that America has demonstrated and we look as and as we look to the future we're excited about the opportunities that we see for your company. Our strategy team and focused capital plan are driving real and meaningful contributions to national, provincial and state level responses to climate change, reducing greenhouse emissions from our operations and strengthening the resiliency of our energy systems. As compared to to a 2005 base period, our two largest utilities, Tampa Electric and Nova Scotia Power have reduced their greenhouse gas emissions by over 35% in 2019, and are forecasting an overall 50% reduction in 2023. While we're proud of our track record, we know we still have work to do as we continue to transition to a lower carbon economy. The reality is that when it comes to emission reductions and our sustainability efforts and positioning, overall, we have a very good story to tell, and we're working hard to tell it better. In October, we published our annual sustainability update, which provides a complete picture of our performance on environmental, social, and governance matters. This year, we added two new disclosure frameworks, SASB and TCFD, and we look forward to continuing to build on our ESG disclosures in future reports. The integration of renewables and natural gas has significantly transformed Amira's generation fleet. With our committed capital program in place, it is anticipated that in 2023, Campbell Electric and Nova Scotia Power will have reduced their percentage of coal generation by a combined more than 20, by more than 80%, excuse me, as compared to a base period of 2005, an 80% reduction compared to 2005. Our service territories are unique, which of course drives our approach to achieving these reductions in each jurisdiction. In 2023, Tampa Electric will have over 1,250 megawatts of solar connected to their system, as compared to just four megawatts when Amira acquired the utility in 2016. Our Big Bend modernization project is also contributing to the significant reduction in GHG emissions in our Florida operations. Nova Scotia Power is a leader in wind generation, with 18% of its energy coming from the wind, one of the highest penetrations of wind energy in North America. In 2019, 30% of Nova Scotia's energy came from renewable sources, and we're on track to increase that to almost 60% in 2023. Nova Scotia Power has already exceeded the commitments made by Canada at the COP21 Forum. Investments in renewable and cleaner generation and transmission to bring renewables to market will remain a central part of our strategy for years to come, while never losing sight of the costs for our customers. On that note, as I mentioned earlier, Ameri's capital program includes both baseline capital and development opportunities. These development opportunities are projects that our teams are currently working on that are not committed to the point of being considered baseline. One such opportunity is the potential development of a new large-scale transmission project that would enable the movement of clean energy and firm capacity through the Atlantic region. This project was referenced recently in the federal government's throne speech as the Atlantic Loop. EMIRA has been working with our partners to advance this exciting idea, and we're encouraged by the recent progress. But it's important to note that it's still very early days, and the number of provinces and utilities potentially involved makes for a very complex project. However, we see tremendous benefits for the whole region with this transformative initiative. Before I pass the call to Greg, I'd like to recognize Peter Gregg, who has recently joined the MIRR team as President and CEO of Nova Scotia Power. Peter brings deep experience in the Canadian energy sector with a focus on energy efficiency, renewables, and innovation. Welcome, Peter. And with that, I'll turn it over to Greg to take you through our financial results for the quarter.
3: Thank you, Scott, and thank you all for joining us this morning. Our portfolio of regulated utilities has remained strong and performed very well, delivering adjusted earnings growth of 10% year-to-date. We are very pleased with these results, which was primarily driven by strong earnings from Tampa Electric, which I will discuss in a moment. Our regulated utilities are in premium jurisdictions with supportive regulatory relationships. This point is further supported by the recent constructive settlement agreements filed by our gas utilities related to their general rate cases. These settlements include a number of rate design improvements and will provide clarity around the earnings and cash flow growth of these utilities. Earlier today we reported third quarter adjusted earnings of $166 million and adjusted earnings per share of $0.67. Cents. For the nine month year-to-date adjusted earnings were $477 million and adjusted earnings per share $1.93. Premier's adjusted earnings per share increased for the quarter and year-to-date when normalized for the asset sales and the timing of preferred dividends. These increases were mostly driven by favorable results at Tampa Electric and the other segment. Now let's get into the details about the results. With the sale of the unregulated gas plant in Amira, Maine, we expected there to be a fluctuation in our results due to the lost earnings contributions from these businesses. By normalizing the earnings impact of the asset sales, there's greater transparency of the performing of our ongoing business. For the third quarter 2019 results, when normalizing for the sale of Ameri-Main would have been $0.44. And for the year-to-date 2019, the adjusted earnings per share was $1.99, which included $0.29 from assets that have been subsequently sold. These assets include the unregulated gas plants, Ameri-Main, and the sale of property in Florida in 2019. Therefore, the normalized earnings per share year-to-date 2019 would have been $1.70. These normalized results, $0.44 cents for Q3 2019 and $1.70 for 2019 year-to-date, become the starting point to compare results for the third quarter and year-to-date 2020. Growth from the normalized Q3 2019 base of $0.44 cents was largely driven by strong performance by Tampa Electric and our other segments. During the quarter, Tampa Electric contributed... Contributed $175 million of earnings, an increase of twenty two million dollars over the third quarter of twenty nineteen. Tampa Electric's growth was driven by increased sales to residential customers, higher sober revenues, higher AFUDC earnings from the Big Ben modernization, and other non solar project another other non Sobra solar projects, and lower depreciation and amortization expense. Third quarter earnings from our other segment improved when excluding the timing of the preferred dividends, which is shown separately on the slide. This increase in earnings was mostly due to lower interest costs and the fact that in Q3 2019, results included a one-time expense related to the impact of Hurricane Dorian on Grand Bahama Power Company. In addition, Amir Energy's marketing and trading business improved results by $8 million in Q3 2020 due to lower fixed costs commitments for gas transportation and storage assets. The remaining Amir utilities combined for a two-cent decrease in EPS for the quarter. The Caribbean earnings were lower because of the pandemic's impact on the tourism industry and the economy, in particular in Barbados. In addition, at Grand Bahama Power Company, the company continues to recover from the effects of Hurricane Dorian. We don't expect this trend to continue over the long term, but short-term results for this segment are expected to underperform on a full-year basis as compared to 2019. The gas, utilities, and infrastructure segment experienced lower earnings in the third quarter of 2020 as compared to the same period in 2019. When excluding the $7 million impacts of a regulatory decision in New Mexico in Q3 2019, New Mexico gas had higher earnings driven primarily by lower operating costs. At People's Gas, lower base revenues due to the impact of COVID-19 on commercial sales were offset by higher customer growth, increased AFUDC earnings, and higher return on investments in our cast-iron, bare-steel replacement rider. The earnings in the Canadian utility segments were up compared to Q3 2019 due to an increase in equity earnings from the Maritime Link and Labrador Island Link investments. This increase was partially offset by a decrease in Nova Scotia Power's earnings due to the impact of COVID-19 on sales volume, increased income taxes, and the reversal of fixed cost deferrals in 2019. So on a normalized basis, the mirror's earnings per share for the third quarter of 2020 was $0.58 cents versus $0.44 cents from Q3 2019, representing a growth rate of 32%. Lastly, for the quarter, the timing of preferred share dividend declaration in Q3 2019 versus Q3 2020 caused a $0.9 cent impact for the quarter. This is simply a timing difference and there will be no impact on the annual amount of preferred dividends. Similar to the quarter, year-to-date growth from the normalized 2019 base of $1.70 was largely driven by the strong performance of Tampa Electric. For the year-to-date 2020, Tampa Electric contributed $400 million of earnings, an increase of $61 million, or 15% growth, over the 2019 year-to-date. Tampa Electric growth was driven by higher base revenues related to favorable weather, customer growth, and a greater mix of residential sales. In addition, Tampa Electric's earnings benefited from higher AFUDC from the Big Bend modernization and non-sober solar projects and lower depreciation and amortization expense. The other segment had increased earnings from mirror Energy from higher marketing and trading margin. As I mentioned, for the quarter, the 2019 results included one-time corporate costs related to Hurricane Dorian's impact on Grand Bahama. Adding to the positives from Mira Energy and the corporate costs, foreign exchange has been a tailwind for the year, contributing $0.03 per share. And lastly, share dilution for the year-to-date was approximately $0.07. The, 2019 results, included the result, 2019 results included the results of two separate regulatory rulings in New Mexico that had a positive impact on earnings. The recognition of tax benefits related to a change in treatment of net operating loss carryforwards. And secondly, the recognition of tax reform benefits from 2018, collectively totaling $19 million, or $0.08 cents per share. And lastly, our remaining utilities in total were slightly lower than the year to date, 2019. Similar to the quarterly results, the other electric utilities, excluding Maine, had lower earnings in 2020 due to the ongoing impacts of COVID on the tourism industry in the Caribbean and the continued recovery from Hurricane Dorian and Grand Bahamas Power Company. Canadian Electric Utilities has had lower earnings year to date. Nova Scotia Power has had lower earnings from increased income tax expense, unfavorable weather, and decreased commercial, other, and industrial sales volumes, primarily related to the impact of COVID 19. These negative impacts in Nova Scotia Power partially offset, um, partially offset higher equity earnings again for the Maritime Link and Labrador Island Link investments. Within the gas utilities and infrastructure segment, earnings increased for the year to date when when excluding one-time regulatory adjustments at New Mexico Gas. This increase was due to higher customer growth, increased AFUDC earnings, and higher returns from our cast iron, bare steel replacement investments at People's Gas, and lower operating expenses at New Mexico Gas. And these positives were partially offset by lower uh, base revenues at People's Gas due to the impact of COVID-19 on commercial sales. So on a normalized basis, Amira's 2020 year-to-date EPS was $1.85 compared to $1.70 from 2019, a growth rate of 9%. And as I previously mentioned, the timing of preferred dividend declaration caused a five cent timing difference year-to-date. And finally, ARAREMAN contributed to AMIRA's EPS in Q1 2020. So in the interest of transparency, we have identified that separately. Moving to adjusted EBITDA and cash flows. Year over year EBITDA, earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, and amortization was lower, decreasing by $38 million or 2%. As expected, the majority of this decline was related to the sale of the gas plants and Amira Maine. Operating cash flow for the year to date 2020 was down $81 million or 7% compared to 2019. Again, as anticipated, most of this decline was due to the sale of Amira Maine in Q1 2020 and our unregulated gas plants in the first quarter of 2019. The quality and growth of AMIRA's regulated cash flows continues to be a priority for our team. As Scott highlighted, we are pleased with the $7.4 billion capital program and the growth that this will generate in rate-based and future earnings for AMIRA. Consistent with the three-year funding plan we outlined at our Investor Day in February, we view the current funding plan as a return to normal course business following the completion of our asset sales program earlier this year. We have always managed our funding program to maintain our targeted capital structure of 55% debt, 35% common equity, and 10% hybrid preferred equity. To achieve this target, we climb the cost of capital ladder to minimize our equity requirements while maintaining a strong balance sheet. Our funding plan maximizes reinvesting, operating cash flows, and manages, manages our business's regulatory capital structures through the issuance of operating company debt. And then finally, MIRA issues common and hybrid equity capital to balance to our targeted capital structure. Our equity requirements over the next three years is expected to be raised through our dividend reinvestment plan, which is expected to raise $200 to $250 million per year. And consistent with our previous funding plan, our at-the-market program, a very efficient and cost-effective way to issue common equity will be used to complete the common equity requirement. And finally, the company will continue to manage the hybrid and preferred capital portion of the capital structure at approximately 10%, which is consistent with our targeted capital structure. Thank you. And with that, I'll turn the presentation back over to Scott. Thank you, Greg.
1: This concludes the presentation. We would now like to open the call um, to questions from analysts.
0: At this time, I'd like to remind everyone, in order to ask a question, please press star and the number one on your telephone keypad. Linda Azergalis, from TD Securities. Your line is open. Thank you, good
4: morning. I'm I'm wondering if you could help us uh, understand uh, this uh, Atlantic Link opportunity for uh, the region and for AMERA. Um, Can you give us a sense of what the bookends of possibilities of uh, timing of development of this might be, realizing it's in the very early stages? uh what the bookends of possibilities might be in terms of uh absolute size on a on a total basis as well as uh what the bookends of possibilities might be for Amira's uh, equity participation in this
5: yeah Linda,
2: it's it's scott and good morning and um uh, look at, at at this point I'd, I'd say it's still a little early to get into uh sort of narrowing narrowing some some of those items but i you know i will say this is a this is a you know a, a project uh, multiples of the scale of of the maritime link project for uh, for for us um, uh, and um, as, as to the project overall and I think as to timing really you know the 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 center point of this of this strategy uh, and 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 really you know the the original impetus for this project as a whole is a, a recognition that as we as we, if we can think about uh, Eastern Canada, Atlantic Canada, more as more as a region, um, and and think about the, um, the the clean hydro resources that exist in in Newfoundland Labrador and in and the province of Quebec, um, where at this juncture there's you know there's more energy than than uh, they consume uh, natively themselves, um, and so can we think about the region as a whole and look at the provinces of Nova Scotia and New Brunswick where additional clean hydro energy can assist with the, with the process of of decarbonizing. And so for us, really, when you think about the coal generation that exists in, in Nova Scotia, as you know, uh, pursuant to an equivalency agreement has a timeline to 2040 for retirement. And this project is really about whether we can accelerate that timing. Can we find a path that would allow us to Retire those coal plants earlier, um, ideally by 2030, which would align with the federal government's objectives uh, around coal generation in the in the country broadly. And so, as you think about timing, the um, you know the aspects of this project, if we can make this all come together, uh, would be leading to a very ambitious project that ideally uh, would have us um, uh, in in service in 2030 or. Uh, or thereabouts. So, you know, it's possible that we could see some element of of um, of, of capex uh, within the uh, three-year capital plan period, but a lot of it would uh, would follow between then uh, and uh, and closer to a 2030 uh, date spread over that period. So, beyond that, uh, you know, it's tough to get into some of the details until we've got more clarity on the path that uh, uh, that is ahead. But it is, you know, a, a project that, albeit ambitious, uh, I think um uh, we're we're excited about um uh, encouraged by uh, some of the early progress uh, but um a project will update John as uh, as that progress continues to develop
4: thank you and i realize there's a lot of complexity in moving parts but can you give us a sense of maybe what some of the initial risk factors to execution might be in terms of major milestones or sticking points that um will be the most uh challenging to overcome to get this over the finish line or or is that um too early to
2: even comment on that yeah i think i think i've made reference to it in in my remarks and you know this is when you start to talk about regional projects it, it means there's there's uh, a lot of stakeholders involved um and that adds complexity and so you know i think that that really is the is the most significant aspect of, of this. Obviously, um, you know, the federal government is engaged and and we're encouraged by the reference in the in the throne speech, but there's also provincial governments and, of course, um, uh, utilities uh, in, engaged. And so, you know, it's that front-end work, Linda, that really is, is the most complicated. And, you know, as that starts to take shape um, uh, and if we can um, line up the stars to... Uh, to see support broadly through, uh, through the regions, then, um, uh, then I think there'll be uh, an ability to speak more clearly about what that means in terms of, of scale and timing and, and those aspects. So I, I think it's really that that um, uh, the, the, the multi-party nature of it um, and working our way through that uh, over the next little bit is, uh, is what to watch for.
4: Well, hopefully, it's a, remains a priority uh, for everyone, and uh, and the momentum continues. Um, maybe moving more to um, a a question just as follow up with respect to uh, the Q4 outlook. Um, how has um, the opportunity looked to date for the energy marketing and trading business, and uh, beyond this year? Um, any comment on the outlook regarding um, your fixed commitments? Um, for uh, natural gas transmission and storage, and how they might continue to step down, or or what uh, the 2021 uh, outlook looks like right now would be appreciated.
6: So, Linda, it's mm-hmm. Jenny, Good morning. Um, so, you can see from the MDNA that uh, currently uh, we we set our expectation that we think 2020 will be, uh, be a better year than 2019, which was obviously particularly weak um but that we may there's a risk that we fall short of the low end of our earnings guidance you know it's an unusual year 2020 obviously um so there has been a a little bit of dampening of demand um as a result of you know various economic slowdown and the weather has been unappealing Um, so the reality is uh, you know we do the best we can to provide those predictions but 40% of our money often gets earned in November and December, so until the last day of the year, it's really hard to know where we'll wind up exactly. It has been a little bit warm um, uh, for the first week and a half of November, which, of course, we don't love that. But um, the forwards are uh, more robust than current pricing, so the market hasn't given up on the winter, and neither have we. Um, So that's kind of where we are. You'll remember in terms of the um, our fixed costs for transportation that they're things that we that they're um, positions that we generally acquire kind of on a short term basis in competitive bidding processes, and the reality is they kind of tend to reflect last year's market. So the reason um, we had a lower investment kind of in q3 of 2020 was that we were able to acquire um, our positions at a at a lower rate i I don't see any kind of increase in the value of gas transportation looking out into the coming year so um, where that kind of positions us is we kind of have the same opportunity set uh for days when uh, there's real money to be made but we have a lower cost of entry going in which is which is a uh, limit on the downside risk so you, you know i would too. never i would never say anything a year in advance other than we would generally expect to be able to earn within our earnings range for 2021 at this point
4: thank you i always appreciate the uh, the context you provide i'll jump back in the queue
0: Rob Hope from Scotiabank. Your line is open.
7: Morning, everyone. Uh, appreciate the comments on the opportunities and development in regards to uh, the Atlantic project. But if we take a look at uh, Florida, can you just give us uh, an understanding of you know, how much additional uh, capital could be put to work, I guess, in TECO related to storm hardening as well as incremental renewable, renewable generation?
3: Yeah, Rob. Nancy? Rob, Sir, sorry. Yeah, Rob. I, I think you know, as we look at that billion two of, of projects under development, I, I think it's fair to say that probably you know, 30 to 40 percent of that would be projects that um, you know that we're looking at um, uh, in, in Tampa specifically, um, and storm hardening would be part of that. So it could be any number of that. So you know, I'd say it's a relatively modest amount on their overall capital program over that three years, but um, some of those things are still being fine-tuned.
7: All right. Thanks for that. Uh, and then just turning over to kind of your existing uh, Atlantic uh, transmission lines, um, you know, saw that your equity contribution into LIL got pushed off. You know, how, how do you view these assets longer term? Do you have an ability to optimize them um, or are they, you know, largely kind of, you know, government back bonds?
2: Yeah, I, I just say, uh, Rob, that they're, they're core assets uh, for, uh, for us and um, you know an important part of the um, asset base for for uh, Amira and and obviously an important part of the uh, energy uh, supply uh, profile uh, for uh, for uh, Nova Scotia power. so they're attractive financially frankly and and important strategically.
7: And then just to clarify on LIL, um, I guess you won't earn on that incremental equity investment until the front half of 2022.
2: Yeah, really. Right, you know, it's it's really yeah. So it's really once once um, Unit Three from Muskrat Falls uh, starts uh, uh, starts spinning, it provides the Nova Scotia block, uh, and uh, the Labradorana Link uh, is uh, uh, is in is in service. We're expecting both of those milestones to occur uh, in uh, in 2021. Um, and uh, and so would be in full service for us in in, uh, in full year for 2022.
7: All right, appreciate the color. Thank you,
0: Ben Sam from BMO. Your line is open.
8: Hi, thanks. Good morning. Uh, I wanted to follow up on Rob's question I, on maritime Linky. You mentioned it's it's core. It's it's obviously generating solid cash flows for you I, you guys for a long time, and it's a carrier of uh, renewable energy to some extent. Um, uh, but how do you how do you look at it from more of a messaging standpoint? For you, look at your rate base, kegger uh, tables. The rate base is declining over time. The earnings is presumably going to decline. So is there, to Rob's point, is there ways to optimize that messaging because your your rate base implied looks a lot higher if you strip out maritime link.
2: Yeah, yeah I mean, what 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 you say is well. So <laughs> Greg and I are going to give the same answer, I'm sure. So go ahead, Greg.
3: No, I I think I think that's um, that's right, Ben. When when you know once those projects are are you know fully operational and and 100% cash returns, um, you know it's certainly not going to have an incremental investment uh, requirement going forward. And, and so yeah, as we go over time. Uh, the rate-based investment in those assets will you know, just mathematically be smaller each and every year as as they're continue to be amortized.
8: Okay, so there's there's no there's really no so you you're comfortable with, with really the maritime link being a a grindage on your your EPS and and your rate-based categories. Maybe comfort is not the right word, but I can't can't right. think of a better word to use.
1: So
2: so look, I mean, what you say is right: is that you know these the, the contributions from from these assets will reduce over time. However, you know they um, they you know Rob referred to it like a like a government bond. It would have this you know it, it would have the same um, financial profile as 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 something uh, like uh, like that. However, as I said. You know, these are these are critically strategic uh, assets for us, for the province of Nova Scotia, uh, for Nova Scotia power. And so, you know, we can certainly think about, you know, how we're how we're looking at our, our rate based growth and those kinds of things to make it clear um, that, that those things are a little a little different because you're right. Uh, uh, those are th- those assets will not naturally grow um uh, but um but as it relates to um you know the 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 coreness of those of those assets to uh, to the portfolio not to um to 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 suggest you're thinking we should we should monetize them in some way um you know that would not that would not be on the table these are these are core assets for us they contribute positively financially uh, they certainly contribute strategically. We can think about, uh, you know, how we make sure that there's full transparency to investors as it relates to the the profile uh, that uh, that they uh, result in as as around things like rate-based growth.
8: Yeah. Okay. Makes a lot of sense. And um, and then on your uh, uh, your financing slide, doesn't doesn't seem like uh, really much much change from before, uh, same capex. And how do you how do you think though about financing the additional uh development opportunity do you think you need external equity to 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 fund that and then there's a reference to i believe hybrids as re, as a rebalancing mechanism can you can you clarify what you meant by that
3: yeah yeah ben it's craig um so so obviously um, all of the additional development opportunities which in, in fairness to her, are a little bit back and loaded are are all rate-regulated investments, so it would follow the traditional funding, you know, approximately half of that would be funded with operating company debt um, and in the balance with, with uh, you know, common equity and, and uh, preferred shares um, to the extent that we needed to and that there wasn't incremental cash flow coming at the same time. So all those things will get into the mix. Um, but you know, it would be a relatively modest incremental equity requirement towards the back end if those projects uh, do, in fact, um, uh, unfold the way we hope. Uh, On the preferred share side, uh, you know, I think the way to think of it is we probably have, you know, certainly with the balance sheet growing, probably have room for, you know, call it $500 million worth of preferred shares or hybrid equity to do over this period, no rush to do it. That market's been kind of... um, the pricing of that market doesn't really fit into our capital structure very well right now looks like it might be starting to open up but i think at some point in time over this three-year period you might see us do kind of in that range of of preferred shares or hybrid equity
8: all right that's great very helpful thank you
0: robert kwan from rbc your line is open
9: great good morning um if i can come back to the the capital plan i know you've given a little bit of color here in florida but just you had two hundred to five hundred million of opportunities before, so the first part is just have you crystallized any of that into the twenty one to twenty three base plan if you got some specifics on that and then as you think about the one point two billion of ops you've already carved out Florida, but are there you know kind of other call it a couple of hundred million kind of plus type uh initiatives in the in that would be in, in that number
3: yeah, I think Robert I'd say probably. Probably, there's been a little bit of, let's call crystallization, I think is the word you use in terms of things that were under development before that are in our base plan. Probably the most material of that over this period is, is, uh, over the next two years, I guess, trying to compare plan to plan, uh, would be about an additional $100 million, uh, for the storm protection plan investments in Tampa Electric. Uh, there would be other, some smaller other items, but that would be probably the most significant one.
9: And then just in the the 1.2 outside of Florida, what else would be kind of larger pieces making up that bucket?
3: Yeah, so about 40% of it would be um, targeted towards the tail end uh, of the forecast period for the Atlantic Loop or something like that as as we look at various alternatives to accelerate uh, the reduction of coal-fired generation even further in Nova Scotia. And then probably about 30% of of that total um, is quite frankly, everything else across all of our other utilities uh, in our portfolio.
9: Okay, that's great. Um, I just finished with a question on the dividend. In in past years, you extended the dividend growth guidance when you announced the dividend increase, um, which wasn't the case this year. And now you've rolled out the capital plan out to 2023. So I'm just wondering, is there some extra thought that's going on internally uh, around that, or evaluation around dividend policy?
2: No, I don't. I don't. I, don't, I wouldn't read that uh, into it. Into it, Robert. Um, you know, we'll uh, we'll we'll look uh, probably with our our, our our more traditional schedule again next fall um, uh, in in timing with uh, uh, with the dividend discussion and decision that uh, directors will make uh, then as to sort of extending out the extending out the timeline and really just a reflection right now that you know the, the environment that we're all living in right now is um uh is is a little different obviously than all of us all of us uh thought and so you know i, I think you know the words that i'd said before i would repeat is that when we when we set this dividend growth rate of four to five percent um you know while directors will make a decision about around dividend increases um uh, at uh, at At each moment in time where they're having those discussions, um, the reality is when we set that we were we were looking to set that at a rate that we believed was sustainable over time um and uh, and that continues to be true so uh, so i wouldn't i wouldn't read anything into it we'll we'll uh, uh, will look to uh, to think about the the timing extension around the dividend um, uh, guidances uh as directors go through that process with us on the annual basis as we do in the in the late summer next year.
9: Okay, so if you'd roll it out next year, would we be getting two more years, or are you just thinking about shortening up the timing?
2: Yeah, I, 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 won't, I won't prejudge what the what the dis- discussion and decision from that uh, is, is Robert. But um, but we understand that you know dividend uh, growth and and dividend growth guidance is is helpful to to our investors, and so um, you know that that'll be uh, certainly a Front and center as we uh, have our discussions with directors and and uh, and make sure that we're providing the most helpful uh, pieces of, uh, of, of of guidance to our investors as it relates to what our growth profile and the like uh, looks like. But as I say, the you know the dividend growth rate that uh, that we established uh, was was one that that um, we put in place thinking that was uh, sustainable over a long period of time. And I would suggest to you that uh, continues to be true in my view.
9: That's great. Thank you very so much.
0: Mark Jarvie from CIBC, your line is open.
10: Thanks. Good morning, everyone. Um, I wanted to come back to the Atlantic Loop, and I know there's uh, a, a lot of work to be done there and a lot of unknowns, but when you talked about um, an earlier phase out of coal and, and, and bringing in uh, you know, cheaper renewables um, and, and not creating undue bill pressure for your customers, I'm just curious, can you, can you also create a little bit more you know, buffer for further investments? Like I'm thinking that fuel costs come down even more dramatically that you can even phase out coal earlier plus, you know, uh, find room for further investments at uh, Nova Scotia Power.
2: Yeah, so, so certainly, uh, Mark, I mean, that, that really has been our, our DNA for uh, for a long, long time is, uh, you know, you, you would have heard us talk about fuel to asset strategies. And so to the extent that we're able to um you know take uh, take advantage of um uh, of of removing uh higher cost higher carbon generation and replacing it uh, with uh, um with with renewables that that eliminates the the fuel expense uh, in that and effectively redirect that um towards uh, towards the cost of capital of 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 renewables absolutely uh, we'll uh, we'll we'll do that and and, and look, just like you know, more more solar is 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 absolutely part of the energy future for uh, for Tampa Electric. Um, more wind is also part of the energy future for uh, for, for Nova Scotia. Uh, storage is going to be an important aspect uh, in uh, in both utilities as we as we put more in intermittent renewables. Onto onto the system, and in Nova Scotia's case, as mentioned, you know the ability to um, enhance the existing transmission of infrastructure uh, in order to optimize uh, the system. All those parts together is really what um, will allow and enable. A, an earlier retirement of coal, and, um, and the trick and the challenge of that is, um, in answer, as in answer to Linda's question, is, is is getting all the stakeholders aligned uh, in in that, and that's that's complicated. And two is making sure that it's not putting an incremental cost burden on on Nova Scotia Power customers relative uh, to a path to doing it to the existing 2040 timeline. So, um, so that's you know that's really the. Um, the 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 work that we're doing and continuing to frame out and and we look forward to sharing more as that work advances.
10: Okay, great. And then my last question is for Greg. Just looks like a little bit of deferral in spending. I know the Scotia Power. Is there anything else that's moved from 2020 into the to 2021 or or, or subsequent years in the in the three-year capex plan?
3: Uh, no, I, I don't think so, Mark. Uh, really, just the, the some of the projects at Nova Scotia Power, and mostly because, as you're probably aware, Nova Scotia is one of the strictest, um, um, I guess, public policies around people coming into our jurisdiction, and, and so at the beginning of the pandemic, projects that um, were going to require um, resources from outside the area, um, it was determined it was probably prudent to, to move those. Um, other than that, I can't really think of anything material in any other jurisdictions at this point. Everything else has been pretty much on plan.
8: Okay, great. Thanks. Welcome.
0: David Cruzada from Raymond James. Your line is open.
5: Thanks. Morning, guys. Uh, Question on on Florida, and I guess broadly the topic of um, renewable natural gas. I'm wondering if that factors into your plans there, part of that incremental capex opportunity or, or or i guess even um hydrogen as well what what kind of time frame do you think for that
2: yeah so well certainly on the first on the first one uh, david i'd say both people's gas and New mexico gas are 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 working on and and uh and looking at at renewable uh, natural uh, natural gas. I'll, I'll, I'll pass it to T J in a second, and he can give you a sense as to his perspective on Florida. As to as to hydri- hydrogen, I'd say um, you know it's something that we're we're talking a lot about. Um, um, we don't have any active projects on at the uh, at the moment. Obviously, hydrogen is is one of those areas that has a a lot of um, investor and capital market attention right now. Um, you know, the math is pretty tough. Uh, today for uh, for hydrogen, but uh, you know that could that could change in in future, which is obviously why we're spending a lot of time you know thinking about it and talking about it. But we don't have any any active projects uh, right now. And and with that, TJ, you want to give a bit of color on, on RNG in Florida?
11: Sure, happy to. Um, yeah, we we have several projects um, in the development stage now that where we're discussing the opportunity. We do see that as a, a really bright opportunity within. Florida uh, for people's gas and, and for the environment um, both so we do uh, have several projects on the uh, drawing board that we're working through um, with potential uh, suppliers currently. so um, we and, and I agree on the comments regarding the hydrogen certainly further out um, for the, on the hydrogen in Florida but uh, but the renewable natural gas is, is a viable option for us right now and we're working through several projects.
5: Excellent. Thank you for that color. Appreciate it. And then maybe just one um, one question, uh, I guess, uh, on COVID nineteen as we uh, as we start to see, it seems like cases are going higher again, especially in the U.S. And, and maybe this question is on Florida specifically, as the as the duration of of the pandemic kind of drags out here. Uh, and appreciate that it's been a minimal impact so far. As the duration drags out, do you expect that it'll still be a minimal impact, or, or does the longer time frame of it start to I mean it's a more material impact?
2: Yeah, you know, I, you know, I think, um, you know, obviously in 2020, 20, uh, 20, uh, David, all jurisdictions, you know, including including Florida, went through periods of of lockdowns, and you know that that changed the way that our customers uh use use energy um but it changed things m- more for some businesses than for than for others and so uh for the tj the business of tj Leeds, for example people's Gas, that had a that had a more dramatic impact because you know an important customer base uh for him is uh, uh are, are many commercial businesses that uh, uh that obviously uh weren't uh, weren't operating and therefore weren't uh, weren't consuming natural gas during that um, that period, uh, so you, you know I, I think that there are there are there are pockets where if this continues, Caribbean would be another another example that uh, um, you know until there's a recovery of of, of tourism, you know things are going to be a little a little uh, tougher in Barbados uh, as as an example until planes start flying again and and tourism activity starts to uh, starts to return um for for Tampa electric um you know for sure there are there are impacts of course and and making sure that we're continuing to stay sensitive to uh, to our customers and supporting them through uh through the period um but you know weather impacts frankly have been um you know um uh, material in uh, uh in in florida and that uh, you know that's that's been having uh on balance a, a more material impact on on changes of of, of load for Tampa electric uh Dan has the um the way that our customers are, are are using our energy does that make sense
5: yeah absolutely thank you that's that's great color appreciate it i'll get back in the queue
0: andrew chris from credit suisse your line is open
12: Thank you, good morning, and I, I guess the question is maybe in the spirit of measure twice and cut once, but when you think about storm hardening some of the existing infrastructure that you have, how do you think about that just on a regulatory mechanism that clearly you have on in Florida, just more broadly and from an NPV basis of you know, building more resilient infrastructure that lasts through storm cycles um, versus the build-rebuild on a more regular basis? You just maybe give us some color on that and how that varies through the franchises that you own.
2: Yeah, so so um, let me let me let me try this. I'm 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 trying to get to the heart of your heart of your question, Andrew. So so let me know if, if I if I don't or or Rick or Greg can uh, can help help me. But um, you're right. You know the 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 regulatory mechanisms as it relates to. Um, uh, storm hardening or reliability uh, investments are are a little different, jurisd- just jurisdiction by jurisdiction. Obviously, the most different right now is in Florida uh, with uh, with Tampa Electric and the um, the SPP, the storm protection plan um, that uh, is now in place uh, uh, in place there with. Uh, you know, something that arose uh, as a result of, you know, underlying need and recognition of the impact of of major hurricanes in past years, um, but also with significant um, uh, government support and, and initiative to uh, to ensure that there was actions being taken uh, in order to accelerate uh, those uh, those efforts um, In in most other jurisdictions. Um, you know, storm hardening or reliability investments become part of the the capital plan and the profiling that that each business um, uh, conducts and reviews with its uh, regulator. In some cases, before the capital is spent; in other cases, after the capital is spent, depending on on the jurisdiction. And there always needs to be um, uh, a lens of regulators will apply a lens of prudency as it relates to as it relates to those investments. And so you are right is you know thinking about how those investments are are made and and you know the cost of of rebuilding um uh, for storm damaged infrastructure versus making them harder so that you don't need to rebuild as often is a really important part of the analysis that the teams uh, do and um and review as um uh, as as part of that work and um and you know the the environment that we're in is changing and here in Nova Scotia the uh, the instances of of higher winds are are more frequent uh, than they have been in the past, and so the team worked through that as well in order to make sure that they're planning uh, for a system that is going to experience uh, more frequent frequent levels of of higher wind, and um, and that would you know that would be true in terms of the work and analysis that that goes on across uh, across the system.
13: Scott, uh, maybe I could add uh, just just a bit of color to it, Andrew. As Scott mentioned, outside of Florida, each of the utilities have transmission distribution investments that include improvements in uh, reliability, the rain debt, uh, storm hardening, and ability for the system to stand up in those severe events. Each of the utilities have it within their normal um, investment programs, but also a key component of it is you're, you're replenishing with newer technologies, they are slightly more expensive but give you better reliability. So the investment profile as an example in Nova Scotia Power for T&D is, is about 40% of the overall capital uh, program for 2021. Um, captures a significant portion of it focusing on reliability and enhancements on the system.
12: I appreciate the color, And then maybe just to follow up on that, you, what role do you see batteries playing Within your utility footprints, and Nova Scotia would probably be a good example with just long radio lines. Do um, you see opportunities to really put batteries much closer to load, and you maybe even on an individual house-to-house basis, to improve reliability and then effectively buy you time to put the system back? Scott, do you want me to
13: uh, address that? Yeah, please. So, yep, it, it's Rick again, Andrew. Um, you know, batteries. We we have battery system in Barbados. Uh, in Nova Scotia as well on on a feeder. Um, Most of the development right now is focused on trying to figure out how to extract the highest benefit from battery systems we're deploying. So um, we know the technology, the costs are coming down, technology is improving, and within ETL, Emera Technologies, also they're developing the microgrid Approach with the DC system that that has battery components embedded. So a lot of work within Emera, each of the utilities, uh, tackling different challenges uh, within each of the utilities and how to deploy them. But will will be a big part of it. We're just watching to make sure we're deploying the capital cost effectively.
12: Okay. That's great. Thank you Andrew,
6: very much, Andrew. It's Nancy. I'll just uh, I'll hmm. just add if you look at our 10-year site plan here in Florida, and uh, and the work that we did last year on, on the IRP um, that served as the basis for it and will uh, and, and in our next 10-year site plan, you will see solar, more, solar, of course, ongoing investment in solar, but with battery. We think that's key, and we think the prices
0: will be such that uh, that will make sense for us.
12: Very helpful. Thank you, Nancy.
0: Again, if you'd like to ask a question, please press star and the number one on your telephone keypad. Elias Foscalos from Industrial Alliance, your line is open.
14: Uh, good morning, everybody. Uh, most of my questions have been asked, but um, probably one uh, broad question, um, probably initially directed towards uh, maybe maybe Ryan and TJ. Uh, despite economics, uh, some... U.S. cities have been making headlines by uh, banning natural gas in new buildings. I can't find anything sort of related to that in Florida, but but maybe you can give uh, an outlook on, uh, on that. Uh, and then maybe a, a broader question uh, to take back uh, uh, to Greg or Scott uh, is, um, you know, do you consider yourself relatively hedged uh, if that occurs?
11: Sure, Ryan, so you want, as, to, want to give a New Mexico perspective? Sorry. Yeah, sure, Scott. Um, I think uh, here in New Mexico, we have not had any cities or anybody come forth uh, uh, requesting those types of changes. So we, we feel pretty good here. But we also know that there's environmental groups out there pushing this all the time. So we're very aware of that. New Mexico is uh, an interesting state because... Um, Natural gas and oil are a big part of this state, so very important to the state's economy. so we don't see a huge push in that direction anytime soon and uh, with the abundance of natural gas here and the affordability, we think it's a it's a good source of energy for our customers yeah, and on the Florida side, very similar um, you know, we do have environmental groups um, actually in terms of cities um, you mentioned we actually have uh, there there are a handful of cities that over the last several years have made proclamations or resolutions to be clean by 2050, you know, or carbon neutral that type of thing. Um, when you look at kind of the grassroots demand for natural gra- gas across Florida, it's really strong, um, both residential and commercial, and and. Um, and and so we, we as as with Ryan we see the demand for natural gas continuing in Florida. Um, we do hear those voices um, across the state from Sierra Club and others that that you know are promoting um, no fossil fuels. You know it's just that that is not practical nor affordable at this point for customers. And and certainly natural gas in Florida has been has been a uh, one of the reasons that we've had reduced CO2 across the state um, over the last 15 years, and the continued end use of natural gas for the foreseeable future, is is a really critical. I think to to having continued um, advancements in terms of of the environment, and and so we're certainly part of the answer, there not part of the issue, and um, working closely with with electrics to be a partner with renewables is is where we see ourselves, and. and and again, all of that combined with a very strong end-use demand for natural gas by customers, I think we'll see natural gas in Florida for uh, for some time to come.
2: Yeah, and, and I don't, you know, look, I don't. I mean, I understand the point is to, you know, do we see it as a uh, as a as a hedge? And I, you know, I wouldn't I wouldn't say that's a, a driving force strategy. But but I would say that you know, I'm, I understand that you know people are asking different questions about gas LDCs uh, now within, within capital markets. From our perspective, um, you know, we're, we're happy with the gas LDCs that we have. I think New Mexico and Florida both, I'll use my own words um, in, in this, but I think broadly both of those states see the natural gas LDC as an enabler of decarbonizing the electric side and therefore an important part, frankly, of that of that journey to, to carbon reduction. We agree with that premise, frankly. Uh, And so, you know, today we're, you know, we're we're happy with uh, uh, with the roles that those gas LDCs are, are playing in their jurisdictions. We're happy with the role that they're playing within the portfolio as well.
14: Great. I appreciate that caller. Thank you very much.
0: There are no further questions at this time. I'll turn the call back over to the presenters.
1: Well, I'd like to thank you for for joining the call today and uh, and your interest in Amera, and I hope you
3: enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you.
1: This
0: concludes this concludes today's conference call. You may now disconnect.